The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Sports Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericasports.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed in the following program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. The horses are at the gate. And they're off. Welcome to Winning Ponies. With a weekend coming up, this is the spot to be for news, handicapping, and spotlights featuring the winners behind horse racing today. Now, here's your host, John Engelhart, racing's regular guy. And thanks for joining us on winningponies.com. We're going to have another great show this evening. We've got uh, two very interesting guests with us. Uh, First is kind of a rising star in the sport of thoroughbred racing. His name is Austin Smith. Uh, I've had the pleasure of knowing Austin probably since he was in high school. And last week, if you got a chance to watch the uh, New Orleans Handicap, you saw a track record set by Nate's Mineshaft, a horse who absolutely loves the fairgrounds. Well, he's trained by Austin Smith. Austin Smith had a, a very interesting career. We're going to hear uh, more about that uh, in about 15 minutes. And then uh, at the bottom of the hour, I've got a very well-known handicapper, Steve Davidowitz. And Steve, of course, uh, has written several books on racing. One of my favorite all-time books, The Best and Worst of Thoroughbred Racing. Uh, If you've never uh, read this, I advise that uh, you get on Amazon or wherever you get your books from and and pick this one up because he hits on just about every topic. And the great thing about Steve's book is that most of it isn't him sitting back and just uh, observing uh, on television or reading books about these horses. Uh, These were events, horses, and people uh, that he worked with over the years. So uh, you really enjoy uh, A, his book, and B, he's got a new a website called a grade1racing.com. I don't know how big his staff is, but he covers this from go to woe um, with all kinds of amazing uh, reports uh, on, on a daily basis and then covering uh, the Triple Crown uh He's got a horse directory index, a workout report database, pedigree database. Uh, He has uh, bloodstock expert uh, Lawrence Stitch uh, writes for him. Uh, He's got uh, guys out clocking horses every day and giving very in-depth reports. Uh, We want to talk to to him about uh, his uh, observances of this year's Road to the Triple Crown, and then we're going to handicap, of course, uh, some of the biggest races uh, that are out there uh, this week, very, very exciting. A lot of horses are going to punch their ticket to the Kentucky Derby. Of course, uh, it looks like a great race between uh, Gemologist and, and Alpha, in my opinion, uh, in the uh, Wood Memorial at Aqueduct. Uh, the Santa Anita Derby, we'll find out if creative cause is the real deal for trainer Mark Hannigan. Uh, this horse just seems to have a great pace uh, ability to stalk and to win. Should be able to go to the Derby now, but won't mind picking up another $750,000. And then a uh, race that's definitely uh, win and you're in. And right now we've got 14 entrants 
that want to go in the Illinois Derby. And the race carries a half a million dollar purse, even though it's only a grade three. But there's a lot of horses that are taking a shot in here. It'll be very interesting to see who pops up in that race. So I'll try to get to as many of those races uh, with Steve Davidowitz as we can. Certainly a well-respected handicapper. Uh, also, uh, we, of course, have the opening of Woodbine and one of my favorite tracks in the world, Keeneland. Uh, Keeneland uh, will be opening up on Friday, uh, April 6th. They're hoping for full fields, but they do see a little bit of a pinch from the New York horsemen that have uh, stayed in New York. The purses are so big, but they're still they're, they're going to have a they're going to have a great meet down there. And of course, Keeneland they've been staying on the cutting edge. Uh, they've got all kinds of uh, online contests, uh, social media tie-ins. Uh, they're really really on the cutting edge. Um, there's uh, an online contest called uh, Dash to the Finish Line. Uh, you can also document your day at the races with a, a Keeneland hashtag with uh, updated photos, videos of the day, also video I- interviews with the jockeys and more. And uh, if you're not too far from Lexington, um, you can get into the track uh, for free just by downloading a general mission a coupon for Wednesdays or Thursdays. And for just $10 more, they can get a reserved seat with a program and a Keeneland logo hat. That's not a bad deal. And then, of course, they launched uh, Play Keeneland, which is a real-time horse racing game last spring. Uh, each day, the person with the top winnings gets a $50 wagering credit for uh, the Keeneland Select uh, Advanced Wagering. So all eyes will be on Keeneland. A pair of eyes that uh, won't be seen too much in Kentucky after Keeneland are those of Julien Le Paru, uh, this outstanding French horseman uh, is, quite frankly, going where the money is. Uh, he uh, is going to be leaving the Kentucky circuit where he has been uh, so successful, and he is going to be heading to New York. So Keeneland will probably be uh, the only track that's in his regular rotation. Uh, he's shattered records uh, at tracks across Kentucky, and uh, he says he's been thinking about it for a couple of years, and he thinks it's the, the right decision. Also, another big change for him, he got engaged, and uh, so... He'll have a lot of changes in his life uh, coming up. Uh, We uh, took a quick look at uh, the win Kentucky Derby odds, and uh, I'll tell you what, if you like somebody other than Union Rags, you can really get a deal. I'll just briefly, just the the few horses that are 15 to 1 or under. Uh, Alpha currently at 14 to 1, Creative Cause at 10 to 1, El Padrino 15 to 1, Gemologist, who I still am saying is going to be my pick. I'll find out more after the wood. Fifteen to one. Uh, Hanson at ten to one. Uh, then you've got Secret Circle at fifteen to one. Uh, big upsetter last week. Take Charge Indy at fifteen to one. And then the favorite at seven to two out there in Vegas is Union Rags. Well, uh, before I get on to uh, looking back at some of the race results from last week. Uh, we've got a call in from a Winning Ponies regular who I think made a pretty decent score off of uh, some of his uh, Winning Pony uh, dealings. I believe his name is Wade Jones. Wade, are you with us? Yes, sir. Thank you for having me, John. First time listener, first time caller. I appreciate it. 
Well, shame on you, first-time listener. Well, here, here's the deal. All the shows are on podcast, so you've got no excuse. You can go back. Uh, we, we've had excellent guests like we're going to have this week all year long, and a lot of them are on just topics in general, not necessarily that week's racing. So I want you to hit that podcast button. So what's going on with you? I hear you had a pretty good day at the races. Yeah, I'll say um, thanks to winning ponies, that's for sure. Uh, not sure how familiar you're you are with the uh, Breeders' Cup Challenge, but they have that $100 qualifier um, in which I believe six people of 780 entrants made it. Um, fortunately, I took second, but that was uh, most of it. Uh, congratulations to Winning Ponies because they had a huge day uh, of the 10 races. In fact, at Santa Anita, which are the last three, they basically singled uh, 8, 9, and 10, and won all three of them, which is pretty impressive. Now, uh, of, of the different tools that, that they offer, what's your favorite? Um, I like that when, when they handicap a race, uh, they'll, they'll point out certain things, they'll, you know, age-wise or class-wise, moving up, moving down, monster workouts. They'll, they'll basically uh, pinpoint or read in between the lines of what you what everyone's got in front of them in, in the daily racing form, and they just kind of highlight certain points. Uh, in a 12-horse field, they might, you know, highlight three horses that, that have a chance to win. And, you know, everyone knows anytime you're taking a multiple-choice test, you know, you can pretty much eliminate two, and that leaves you at the 50% chance of the right answer. And you have, you know, <laughs> Hey, you took my SAT or, test with me. You got, you got 10 or 12 horses. If you can throw out 80% of them, you know, it, you've now, you know, increased your chance of, of winning. And that's, that's all you can do, in my opinion. You, you pick a horse that has a chance, and you hope that he wins. That's, that's the way I see it. Well, I'm glad you got there. What part of your personal handicapping do you throw in along with the tools that Winning Ponies give you? Um, well, what I would do is, without looking at what they would analyze in a race, I would just kind of you know, put a cover over that and, and do what I thought uh, was right in, in the system that I'll do. I personally do my best to try and just figure out what the pace of the race is and uh, I think if you can, you know, put a good move on that, you can, you know, pick your closer or pick your front runner, whatever the pace should be. And I would pick, you know, two, three horses that have a chance, and then I would go and look and see what Winnie's pony said. And fortunately, that round we shared a lot of the same thoughts, and and you know, it, it just worked. But going back and looking at all of their selections for the ten races, I mean, I think I think they uh, they had every horse that won in their top three. Which was unreal. So I mean, if, if you were handicapping solely based on what Winnie's ponies uh, selected for you, you'd, if you didn't make money, you were doing something wrong. <laughs> well, listen, thanks, a lot. ladies and gentlemen. That was uh, that was Wade Jones uh, calling in, and once again, WinningPonies.com has the tools that you can use uh, to get you in that. Uh, window that cashes your tickets thanks again to wade jones for calling in and wade you better start listening to the show on a weekly basis you got it absolutely go uh <laughs> go breeders cup right <laughs> you got it okay back to some national news of course uh if you got up a little bit early on saturday uh you got to see the world cup and uh the big 10 million dollar winner well it wasn't royal delta and it wasn't game on dude 
they both uh, really failed to menace and uh, kind of like Chantel Sutherland said, game on, dude. I watched the race was sitting in a very good spot. She just said she he really didn't take to the track. He he was kind of struggled with with the all weather surface. It was kind of different and. Uh, didn't you know felt like you know he was healthy he was fit he just uh didn't like it horse that did was Monterosso. he took command in mid-stretch and just powered home easily to win the dubai world cup uh the 10 million dollar race he's a five-year-old horse and uh godolphin ended up running one two in the race uh the uh, young jockey mikel barzalona uh, had the horse in full gear took command if you saw the race, you weren't sure where the finish line was because he stood up about 40 yards away from the finish and celebrated. It looked good on camera, but the stewards weren't real happy about it, and he ended up getting a $5,000 fine. Um, well, uh, everybody was hoping the factor would win the Golden Shanine, and in a way it did, but it was Krypton factor, not the factor, uh, trained by Bob Baffert. Uh, the factor, uh, who from... I recall looking at the past performances, always had the lead at the first jump, was nowhere to be found, and uh, he just was never involved. Uh, he finished sixth, and uh, the New York Invader Giant Ryan finished fifth in that race. Uh, luckily, uh, Bob Baffert made it back okay uh, w- with his horses. They're all safe and sound back in North America. But there was a, we were hoping Chantel Sutherland would become the first woman jockey to win a race over there, but there was kind of some similar history being made and that Frances Corrine Barande Barbe uh, became the first female trainer to win a thoroughbred race on Dubai World Cup night uh, when Ceres de Algiers uh, held off uh, St. Nicholas Abbey, horse that uh, won down at Churchill last year with Joe O'Brien in the saddle for his dad. Uh, Oliver Pessier had them out for the first time on this six-year-old and gave uh, Barande Barbe a birthday present. She turned 54 the day before. Well, our big uh, uh, champion, uh, Arve de Grace, will be shipping to Oaklawn for the Apple Blossom. Uh, she won this uh, race last year carrying uh, equal high weight of nine, 119. I think she'll be carrying quite a bit more uh, coming up. But uh, even, even Larry Jones joke says, I know she's going to be the top weight. She better be the top weight. She's earned it. So that's Larry Jones's opinion. He knows that uh, he's going to have to... Uh, have to pack a little weight. Hopefully, it won't be anything too unfair. All right, big big headlines uh, in in racing news. Upset time in the Florida Derby. Union Rags, the heavy heavy favorite, uh, did not get the job done. Take Charge Indy did, and uh, I believe Revron held on for the second spot. And Union Rags. Depends on how you look at the race. And I know Steve Davidowitz, who we'll talk to later, has had some interesting observations. But uh, kind of a, looked like he was in a perfect stalking spot. Uh, the thing is, they slowed the, uh, the pace down on him. And when an opening finally did open, he did fire. Uh, I thought he ran big when he was loose, but didn't get the job done. Meanwhile, Pat Byrne, who hasn't been on the uh, uh, radar lately, is going to start getting some headlines with take charge Indy a wire-to-wire win. And then uh, it was uh, Grace Hall, very impressive. We'll see her on Oaks Day. Uh, she took down the Gulfstream, the Gulfstream Oaks uh, over law. So impressive. Uh, those were the two favorites, so there wasn't a whole lot there. Um, finishing actually second in that race, what was Yara, so impressive, was third. Uh, so uh, 
it'd be very interesting. The Oaks is going to be a, an excellent, excellent race uh, this year. Uh, and then, of course, uh, the Louisiana Derby, a bit of an upset there at 99 to 1, Hero of Order, a horse not even nominated to the Kentucky Derby, upset that field. So uh, a lot of different things happening down in New Orleans. Of course, uh, best news, uh, uh, in my opinion, was uh, the, the uh, New Orleans handicap, uh, $400,000 grade two. We're going to talk a little bit more about that in about a minute when we talk to Austin Kep Smith the trainer of Nate's Mineshaft. Hold on, we're going to take a break on winningponies.com, and we'll be right back. Your internet flagship station for sports, Voice America Sports. And they're off! What? Can't make it to the track? You can still get all the action with winningponies.com. The home of the easy win form. The most accurate predictions on thoroughbreds, quarters, and Arabian horses at most American and Canadian tracks. Whether it be the Triple Crown, Breeders' Cup, Travers, Haskell, or your daily races. Don't worry. Let winningponies.com make some money for you. Your internet flagship station for sports. Voice America Sports. You're tuned in to Winning Ponies with your host, John Engelhart. Got a tip for us? Need a tip from us? If you want to talk with John or his guests, the phone lines are now open toll-free at 1-888-346-9144. That's 1-888-346-9144. Or you can send an email to show at winningponies.com. Now, back to Winning Ponies with John Engelhart. All right, and with me is a gentleman you know is Austin Smith. Uh, I've known him uh, his whole life as Kep Smith. Um, grew up not far from uh, where I'm doing the show this evening uh, in uh, near Dayton, Ohio, just south of Dayton, Ohio. Uh, actually, I knew Kep's father before I knew him, and uh, Kep's father uh, was quite an athlete. He was the uh, captain of the Ohio State uh, golf team. Uh, sad to say, a physical element kept him from being better than the Golden Bear, as many people had him tagged in his young days as captain of the Ohio State golf team. Well, he teamed up with another Ohio State guy by the name of Dr. Wilbur Johnston, who was on the championship Ohio State basketball team, and they formed Woodburn Farm in Centerville, Ohio. And Woodburn Farm went on to produce more stakes winners in the state of Ohio than any other farm ever has in its history. Uh, they align themselves with, with good bloodlines and good people. Uh, but don't uh, let me think that this was uh, some kind of uh, a sheik's place. Uh, Woodburn Farm was a working man's farm, a blue-collar farm. You drive by it and not even notice it. Uh, but uh, so, but c- coming from there, these guys these guys were sharp. They didn't squander their money, but they, they studied their bloodlines, and they knew what a good piece of horse flesh looked like. And I've got to say that... Uh, that uh, that's probably where, where Austin got his early love of the game, probably got a lot of his early work out of there. So with me, again, that's the background of, of Woodburn Farm and, and the, the family and the place that, that Austin Smith comes from. Austin, how you doing, my friend? I'm doing very well, John. Thank you. All right. Well, I hope I don't throw people off because I'm going to call you Cap for the rest of the night. They'll just have to realize well, that's the way it goes. People in the old days, they'll know me as Cap. Funny story, <laughs> when I first went to college at Ohio State, 
they were reading off the roll my first class, and they said, Austin Smith, you know, you're supposed to raise your hand or stand up. And I just stood there. I mean, I just sat down. I didn't. I had been so long since somebody called me Austin. <laughs> well, uh, how how right was I? I mean, did you start your love of the game from kind of growing up uh, around the, the the farm and watching, and and then of course going to the track with your dad? I know you you learned how to handicap. Oh well, but when I was growing up, I mean, uh, my father got the form every day. We got the blood horse. In those days, it was a thoroughbred record. And I can remember uh, that was before TVG or HRTV or any of that stuff. So we would we could pick up barely a station out of Lexington to get the race results. And I remember as a young kid just sitting out in the car, uh, hearing a scratchy radio station trying to get the results. So I mean, from a very very young age, uh, I was indoctrinated into horse racing. And I tell you what, it was the greatest childhood a kid could have. If you liked horses. And you like horse racing? It was absolutely spectacular. I mean, going to the races. I mean, we family holidays were uh, we'd go to Calder a couple weeks before Christmas, and once in a while, every other year or every year, we'd go to Saratoga in August. I mean, it was it was absolutely beautiful. Well, your, your dad's a great guy. Back at the time, I was a fledgling columnist. I had a breeding column with the Daily Racing Forum, and your dad had a thing called a fax machine, and he would actually yeah. let me fax my stories up to Chicago from his real estate office at the time. So I, I've got to tip my hat to him and thank him for helping me out with it when I was a youngster in the sport. You know, you, you, you're you're. Your father and, and and Doc Johnston, they, they always kind of employed pre- pretty sharp guys. I mean, we're watching them, and, and I'm sure you probably learned something different from every one of these guys. People like uh, Smiley Adams, uh, of course, uh, Jeff Williams, uh, who was the ill-fated uh, trainer who tragically yeah, died in that plane crash near Keeneland. I, mean, I talked to uh, Jeff Then there was a very classy Jesus Suarez who went from River Downs and started a horse in the Breeders' Cup. All these guys had qualities that I'm sure you could learn from, but your early actual groundwork, hands-on, was with the multiple Breeders' Cup winning trainer Richard Lundy. Give me the background on that, because I, I, I've got to know Dick over the years, and I just think he's a real quality individual, and I, I've got to see him work with horses, and the guy's just fantastic. Well, I'll tell you a great story about that, how I met him. I was driving. He, he had a house. Even though he was training in California and, and uh, working for Mr. Paulson, he had a house in Centerville. It's actually Washington Township, which is, a, you know, a, the township next to Centerville. Right. And he was walking down the road carrying his luggage. <laughs> and I saw him, and I said, you know, I pulled over, and I said, I know who you are. And anybody that knows Dick, he's he's not the most, you know, outgoing, uh, he's pretty introspective, and he looked at me, and I said, look, I'll give you a ride, and he said, well, I'm locked out of my house, can you give me a ride to Casano's? <laughs> I said, sure, and he had just won the early times with kudos, so I gave him a ride, and I thought, I didn't think anything of it, and uh, I saw him, you know, a little while later, and we, we, we got to talking, and he said, you know, look, he said, uh, I said, why don't you come look at some horses at the farm? Because his house was right down the road from where my father and Dr. Johnson's farm was. So we started talking and meeting there and looking at horses and going over horses. And and, uh, that's how I met him. I picked him up on the side of the road. (laughs) That is unbelievable. I had never heard that story. So you eventually, I think, did you go to Florida with him? And that's where you started? Yeah, yeah, we went to Florida. I went to work for him. I was working with my dad in the real estate, and I just hated it every day. 
because I loved horses. Basically, I'd just show up and find any excuse to either go to uh, River or Beulah or Keeneland or Churchill or wherever. And, and finally, I just decided, you know what? When Dick said, why don't we go to Florida? And I said, hell yeah, I'll go. I mean, I, I'd been around the racetrack a long time, but uh, I never worked, you know, at the barn. But, uh, I mean, I caught on pretty quick. Yeah, you, you, you obviously did. And, and obviously throughout the whole time, and I, and I know your dad's got a pretty sharp eye, you, you guys also, like you said, from reading the thoroughbred record and everything, you, you had a good education in, in pedigree. And you actually found the dam of, of multiple grade one winners spoken for and purchased her and brought spoken for up and raised her at Woodburn Farm. Uh, yeah, actually, we fold her. And f- I bought her. Uh, you know, that's a funny story, too, because he was not a real happy guy when I purchased her. Who's this? Your dad? My dad. I signed the, I signed the ticket in his name, and he wasn't very happy. Uh, but we fold her in Florida, which was spoken for, and then we brought her uh, back to the farm. And obviously, uh, spoken for turned into what she was. We ended up selling her and uh, the mare and, and the weanling. So uh, it, it turned out good for everybody. But t- tell me a little bit, uh, you know, and again, I've got to get to Nate's mind shaft, but, but spoken for people may, may not recall that you had done the early training on her, and then you turned her over to Bobby Frankel, and nine days later, she won the grade one Mother Goose. Yeah, he called and said, is she for sale? And I said, yeah. And he said, where do you want me to wire the money? <laughs> I guess your dad wasn't so uh, unhappy that you ended up with that mare after all, huh? No, no, of course not. <laughs> You won't. He, he probably won't give me credit for it, but uh, I mean, it's the truth. It's the truth. Oh, absolutely. Well, listen. I, the, the big story now. Let's face it. Is uh, I was so happy to look up on the screen and see you being interviewed after the win with uh, with, with Nate's mine shaft against uh, just a, a fantastic handicap field uh, that featured not one but two Louisiana Derby winners in there. So you know that they were horses like your horse uh, likes the fairground track. Um, well, this horse was a $25,000 claimer when it came into your barn, and, and, and now it, it's a multiple-graded stakes winner. To what do you, you know, attribute that to? Well, uh, there's quite a few things. I mean, it, I, I got him in September, and it kind of took me a while to figure him out. Um, I had to get him eating good and, and looking a little better. Um, and he's kind, of a, he, he's kind of a funky horse to train. I mean, you kind of just got to, uh, you know, you kind of got to do what he wants to do. Um, and I kind of just played around with him. You know, when I ran him at Turfway in December, I just, I just ran in there because he needed to run. I mean, he really wasn't, he was only about 40, 50%. But, you know, I needed to figure out where I was with him as far as how he acts when he goes to the track. I mean, when he runs, the paddock and all that stuff. So we were getting ready to ship to New Orleans. So I just went ahead and ran him, and if you watch the replay, I mean, he showed a little speed, and, you know, he just kind of got, you know, leg weary the last part, but he came out of the race great. And then when I sent him to New Orleans, um, my wife, Ann, who uh, works with me, uh, she started getting on him, and they kind of had like a symbiotic relationship. I mean, it's kind of spooky. I mean, they, you know, I mean, it's it, it, he just started blossoming, and she started taking time with him. He started, you know, looking better. He started picking up weight. He started breathing better, training better, wanted to train. And I went ahead and ran him in that, you know, uh, 25 because I knew I could get by with it. And I was just looking down the road to get him eligible for other races. 
And then, you know, he came out of that race even better than we, than he went in. And, uh, from that point on, uh, my wife and, and, and Nate's mind shift, I mean, they just get along like two peas in a pod. And I mean, I'll tell you, I'll tell you a, a true story. It, 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 it kind of made me mad. We had some disagreements about it. She broke her hand about 10 days before the New Orleans handicap. And she's the only one that's gotten on that horse other than Jesse when he, you know, she'd worked him <clears throat> right along. Jesse worked him one time, but the doctor at the hospital said, we need to put some pins in your hand. And she said, no, you know, I'm not doing that. Fix my hand up so I can still ride this horse. So she rode this horse. She breezed the horse twice with a broken hand and because uh, she would, she refused to get her hand, you know, completely fixed because she wouldn't have been able to ride. So I got to give her a hell of a lot of credit. She's tough. She's a tough broad. I can tell you that. That that's unbelievable. Well, obviously uh, things are going to be shifting. I, I know you probably wish that the Breeders' Cup was run uh, at the fairgrounds. <laughs> Your horse is now five for five uh, on Gentilly Boulevard. Uh, what what are the future plans for this uh, five-year-old Ridgeling? I think I'm going to nominate him. I mean, I haven't taken him back to the track. He just shipped up here. Uh, he got here Wednesday morning, and uh, you know, obviously, I haven't taken him to the track yet because it's just Thursday, but. I'm going to probably give him Friday, and uh, he's kind of a he's kind of a strong horse, heavy horse. So I'll probably give him tomorrow off, and uh, then take him back to the track on Saturday. But you know, temporarily, I'm planning on the uh, Ali Sheba on Oaks Day. Oh, that's fantastic! That's fantastic. And when people say up here, I just uh, you're at Churchill Downs, correct? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I should say Louisville, I guess. Yeah. Uh, um, now, uh, how many horses do you have in your care? And uh, since uh, Nate's mind shaft uh, uh, victories, has anybody kind of calling you saying, "Hey, I got a horse that might uh, fit under your shed row"? Well, I kind of work for uh, uh, the people that own Nate's mind shaft, uh, Pete and Scott Raymond. I kind of work for them, uh, pretty much totally private so uh it, it wouldn't i mean obviously i'd love to be able to but they uh they took me off the scrap beat because a year ago at this time i wasn't doing much and uh, they <laughs> gave me an opportunity and i promised them i'd do a good job and uh i got a hell of a lot of loyalty to those people they were they really 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 helped me out it's a tough business now i mean it's tough getting owners now and when you get somebody that i, I carry 24 now uh, for them, and we have some other ones that are at the farm getting ready to come in. Um, when somebody gives you that kind of shot, I mean, I'm a big believer in loyalty, and, and, and believe me, it, it, I, I really, really appreciate everything they've done for me. Well, uh, you know, that, that, that's fantastic. It's a fantastic attitude. Uh, but the one, one thing that I think I've failed to mention in this conversation is, is, uh, that, uh, you, you didn't break the track record, uh, in New Orleans. You smashed it. Uh, a record that was held by Phantom on Tour, a famous Ohio bred. I mean, yes, your horse I remember, really I remember that horse very well. He was by Tour de Or. <laughs> But at, at nine to one, uh, I, I hope you went to the window uh, with little faith in Nate. Well, I didn't because I, w- I was probably too nervous to get the money out of my pocket. But it's like the it's like the old thing. Everybody I've run into in the last three or four days uh, tells me they had the horse. I mean, I, it'd be like the guy that said, "You know, I was at that game when he hit that game-winning home run in the seventh game of the World Series." And I'm thinking to myself after they say that, I was like. If everybody had this horse, why was he not one? <laughs> they, your friends must be small betters. That's all I can say, Cap. <laughs> yeah. 
Well, listen, uh, I, I plan on being down in the Louisville area as we as we close in on on the Oaks and uh, and the Derby. Uh, another uh, good friend of Dick Lundy's, uh, uh, Marty Grunder, uh, has a horse uh, in lingerie that looks like uh, she punched her ticket to the Oaks by winning a big race at uh, at Turfway on Vinery Day. So I'm going to be coming down there. I'll be looking for you guys. And uh, all I can say is congratulations, uh, Kep. I think you're a rising star in the sport. Well, thank you very much, John. appreciate it. All right. I'll see you at the Pine Club some night. Well, I'll take you. <laughs> oh, now you're on, without a doubt. Ladies and gentlemen, that's Austin Smith uh, from Churchill Downs calling us. Again, the trainer of uh, Nate's Mineshaft uh, that uh, upset a solid field of handicapped horses last week way down yonder in New Orleans. Well, in a few seconds, we're going to take a little bit of a break, and then we're going to be back with uh, Steve Davidowitz. Uh, who's an author, and right now he's uh, uh, the uh, creator of GradeOneRacing.com, uh, a website that I just can't get away from. It is so packed uh, with uh, in-depth information that, that you want to have, especially coming up to the Triple Crown Trail. Uh, so we'll, we'll be talking with Steve here in just a little bit. Thanks for staying tuned to WinningPonies.com. <laughs> Your internet flagship station for sports, Voice America Sports. And they're off! What? Can't make it to the track? You can still get all the action with winningponies.com, the home of the easy win form, the most accurate predictions on thoroughbreds, quarters, and Arabian horses at most American and Canadian tracks. Whether it be the Triple Crown, Breeders' Cup, Travers, Haskell, or your daily races, don't worry, let winningponies.com make some money for you. Your internet flagship station for sports, Voice America Sports. You're tuned in to Winning Ponies with your host, John Engelhart. Got a tip for us? Need a tip from us? If you want to talk with John or his guests, the phone lines are now open toll-free at 1-888-346-9144. That's 1-888-346-9144. Or you can send an email to show at winningponies.com. Now, back to Winning Ponies with John Engelhart. All right, and with me is Steve Davidowitz. If you've been in the sport of thoroughbred racing, uh, you've been uh, reading this gentleman for years and years. I must say he uh, he calls it like he sees him. He, he always has, uh, and that's the great thing about this sport is, you know, people have different opinions. But uh, Steve always seems to, to find sometimes the other side of the story. Uh, I know uh, just uh, – a story that was posted on on Monday, uh, titled uh, "Getting One Last Look at the Top of Kentucky Derby Contenders." You know, everybody I've been talking to at the track this week was just like all a gaga about Union Rags, going, "Oh, did you see how he just blew him away when he finally got loose and everything?" Of course, the words in his column are, "Forgive me for disagreeing <laughs> about people's opinions about Union Rags." Just an example of you know how Steve sometimes sees things a little bit differently, and he's not afraid to state it that way. Uh, he also uh, has written, as I told you earlier in the show, uh, one of my favorite books in racing called The Best and Worst of Thoroughbred Racing. And right now he's involved in a project uh, called GradeOneRacing.com that I hope when this show is shortly over, you go up and check it out. Steve Davidowitz, how are you doing, my friend? 
I'm busy with grade1racing.com as we speak, and at the same time, I appreciate all the good things you just said. Well, all, all of them, all of them are, are true. Uh, let me go back in time because I, I want to get right around to grade one racing, but um, mm-hmm. the, the best and worst of, of thoroughbred racing, what I like about this book is, I mean, I guess a lot of people could have tried to have written it uh, by researching books and, you know, uh, coming up with, uh, you know, historical facts and things like that. But so many of your uh, chapters, writings in here, Involve personal involvement with the people and the horses you're talking about. I mean, that's got to be a great kind of personal achievement for you while you wrote this book. Well, you know, it's interesting how the book came to life, and it was written in 2007, and there are some horses and uh, people that have subsequently come on the scene that I would love to include in the list of the best that I saw and a few things that have happened that have been among the worst too. And I might actually put uh, some kind of an update revision out there in a few more years. But the thing about the book was that my mom was dying. Uh, she was in the hospital and uh, we all knew that it uh, wasn't going to be much longer. And, uh, you know, she was not exactly a racing fan, but she followed my career, of course, uh, uh, for years and years. And she sat up in her bed and hadn't spoken a whole much. And she said, well, what are you going to do? And the question, you know, really stunned me. And, uh, you know, and I said, well, I, you know, I'm, I'm not sure, Mom. What do you think? And she said, well, why don't you write about all the really good things you've seen in racing and the not-so-good things? And that was the best and worst of urban racing right there. So uh, I took that on as, a, as a, an idea, and I contacted Steve Christ, who was the publisher of the racing form, really active at the time, and also running the book division, which he still does. And he agreed to the idea in about 10 minutes of conversation. And that took me almost a year and a few months to actually go back over the different areas, the jockeys, the trainers, the horses, the three-year-olds, the two-year-olds, the tracks, uh, the different categories, and reflect on what I thought was really good about the ones that I had seen and, again, the ones that weren't so good uh, and had maybe inflated reputations or did things that really annoyed me and other fans. And... Uh, and it, it was a project that I really loved doing, and I copped to the fact that, you know, some of the rankings I might not have been uh, as sharp as I would have liked to have been, and others after they read the book, and this was one of the reasons why I wrote the book, too, you know, had took issue with, well, you know, how come you didn't rank this sprinter higher, or uh, you really think that that jockey was as good as that one? Uh, and I love that because it developed, uh, you know, a lot of good conversations, and it made me think also that I should go back myself as much research as I did and review some of those uh, uh, rankings. And I probably would alter a few of them here and there uh, by a point or two, if you will. <laughs> well, <laughs> so you, like your, your mother, Sarah, I know the book was dedicated to her. Uh, she had a great idea for a great book uh, from, a, from a great author. And, and, I, and I have to say, on an aside, uh, your, your one chapter on, on jockeys, uh, you were – uh, view of Steve Coffin, who's uh, a gentleman that I had started watching when he was riding at 16 down here at River Downs, and uh, I still know him now uh, as as an adult and father and farm owner. Uh, I really think you, you, were, you were dead on about uh, some of the kind words that you had for him and kind of how his career changed after that one injury. But really, in my opinion, where in the history of the world, now I'm making bets at a million to one. Are you going to find somebody that won the Irish, the English, uh, the Italian, the French, and the Kentucky Derby? 
and the Preakness and the Belmont. <laughs> well, right, but I'm just talking those those horses. I those races I named were all derbies. It'll never happen again. I, I think for a short period of time, he was the Sandy Koufax of horse racing. He was the best uh, who ever existed for a very short period of time. And the injury he suffered at Saratoga while he was in the middle of his great rise to fame and uh, and skill uh, occurred when he was still very, very young. And he came back a little too soon. You could see it that he wasn't as balanced or as uh, smooth in the saddle as I thought he looked in his 1978 year with uh, Affirmed and uh, some of the other great rides that he had even before that when he was the king of New York as an apprentice. Uh, and I can I can say this about Steve Cawthon, that uh, I have more respect for him as a man, as a person, uh, and I ranked him very highly as a jockey when he was, as I said, doing his very best. I have more respect for him as a person than I have even for his uh, abilities as a jockey. Uh, he is uh, a, a wonderful human being, very smart. Uh, in the book, I described how I met him for the first time. Yes, the most embarrassing <laughs> meeting in the shower in the basement of the Aqueduct racetrack after I spent an all-nighter in the press box and I needed to get myself clean and he had just come <laughs> off the racetrack for some workouts and we were both in the all-together standing in the next-door stalls and I interviewed him <laughs> and the interview insights that he gave me were going to be very prophetic about, you know, the things that he was going to encounter. And uh, I, when he be, uh, was tied up with Laz Barrera, who was one of my best friends ever in racing, I had real insight and access that very few had. Uh, and I was glad when he went to Europe after his injury and uh, he had had a very miserable Santa Anita period that he recovered his form and adapted beautifully. And uh, I'm very proud of uh, what he has done with his life. Yeah, and as an aside, before we move on here, I will say you you were one of the first people that I saw in writing that wrote something that Steve told me that I always wondered about, and that is in the Belmont Stakes, that's the first time he ever cracked affirmed left-handed. It's like he was saving it just to see what's this going to get, and it got him another gear. Well, you know, at times when pressure is on, and a champion rider or a champion ball player or a champion horse and horse and rider together are struggling for victory, fighting with all of their guts, and they're only in uh, in equal terms with their opponent, you got to think of something. And at that moment, he thought of something, and uh, it worked. And it pushed the firm to the wire ahead of a very, very talented horse, Sally Dar, that many believe, uh, falsely, I think, was better than Affirmed. Personally, I think that Affirmed had more athleticism in him, that he could do more things than the powerful closing kick that Alidor would always put in. And uh, the race that's most definitive to me about that wasn't the Belmont, it was the Preakness, where uh, they hooked each other at the top of the stretch, and uh, they could have literally gone around the track again, and Alidor never would have passed them. Yeah, and I was there for the Travers when he got taken down, and I think there were some shenanigans in there because Cadero was pissed he lost the mount and did a little uh, you know, play acting with shake, shake, shake. But again, I digress. We could talk about this forever. Let's move Let's move forward. I mean, you as, as, as a handicapper, as a columnist, uh, as an author, uh, you are now jumping into the, the wide, wide world of web. And... Uh, 
Grade One Racing is unlike any other site, uh, uh, David, uh, Steve, uh, that I've been on. Um, it, it's so in depth. And when I start looking at your, your, your reports, well, of course, you, you've got Lauren Stitch working on the pedigrees. But what is awesome to me is your uh, be, ability to track so many horses and to actually give workout reports. Uh, how large is your staff? Well, we have, I think, the best workout analyst that I've encountered in my career, and that's Bruno DiGiulio. And he was doing that kind of work for the Tate's uh, Racing Digest out on the West Coast. He also did it for the defunct The Racing Times. Oh, yeah. It was the competitor for Daily Racing Form that was bought out and shut down by the Racing Form. Uh, Steve Christ was the uh, editor of that paper, and later he came to buy out the DRF with a group. And uh, uh, I noticed Bruno back then. And although there are very many good clockers and good workout analysts, Bruno puts out, uh, uh, you know, what the public needs to know and not hides anything. And when he sees a horse training poorly, uh, like he thought uh, the favorite for last year's Kentucky Derby uh, was training uh, 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 the the two-year-old champion, uh, he wrote it and said the horse should be scratched, and the horse was eventually scratched. When he saw Animal Kingdom training fabulously on the dirt after his win on a, on a, uh, a synthetic track, he said this horse handles this track perfectly, and he's absolutely dead fit, and he won the race at 40-some-odd uh, dollars. He doesn't really tout in, in that sense, but what our information is designed to do is to provide the kind of quality insights that the horses tout themselves. And yeah. I'm, uh, I'm a firm believer in good analytical, analytical workout reports. I use them for my own handicapping. I have always wanted to do something with them like we're doing on grade one racing. So we have a team that, uh, are, uh, that fit that standard. You, you're only contributing because you, the public wants to know what's really going on. We're not selling our workouts privately to trainers. We're not giving them to clients that want to have the inside track on things. We're providing them for the horse-playing public. And we have several uh, clockers in different locations uh, who are now clocking Southern California races where Bruno used to be based. We have Bruno's uh, better half, I could say, who's also turned out to be a brilliant clocker, uh, Molly Joe Rosen. He trained. Uh, we have uh, 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 people in New York that are going to be picking up the New York circuit this week. Uh, we're going to be in Kentucky. In fact, we're already in Kentucky. Bruno and his team moved up from uh, Palm Meadows and Gulfstream Park to pick up Keeneland and Churchill Downs from now to the end of the Churchill meet this summer. Uh, we've been there the last couple of years as the project has taken form. Uh, the re- results have been fantastic. Uh, and I'm very pleased with that aspect of our product, with the pedigree information we provide, with the performance notes that we're adding, with the handicapping contests that we run for subscribers, and uh, we're building and trying to get stronger and stronger every day, and and I appreciate what you said about it when you looked at it yourself. Uh, Well, all I can say is there's so many layers and there's so much uh, to select from, uh, including, you know, when you have a horse, you can go and find out what the horses he just raced against uh, we're, we're doing. Um, exactly. Steve, here's what we're going to do. We're going to take a quick commercial break. Uh, then I want to come back to you. We'll talk a little bit more about grade one racing and then hopefully get our teeth into some of the three-year-old prep races that are going to come up this week. We're with Steve Davidowitz, ladies and gentlemen. Stay tuned. We're coming right back after this break.
your internet flagship station for sports, Voice America Sports. And they're off! What? Can't make it to the track? You can still get all the action with winningponies.com, the home of the easy win form. The most accurate predictions on thoroughbreds, quarters, and Arabian horses at most American and Canadian tracks. Whether it be the Triple Crown, Breeders' Cup, Travers, Haskell, or your daily races, don't worry. Let winningponies.com make some money for you. Your Internet flagship station for sports, Voice America Sports. You're tuned in to Winning Ponies with your host, John Engelhart. Got a tip for us? Need a tip from us? If you want to talk with John or his guests, the phone lines are now open toll-free at 1-888-346-9144. That's 1-888-346-9144. Or you can send an email to show at winningponies.com. Now, back to Winning Ponies with John Engelhart. If I had a... All right, and with me again, uh, Steve Davidowitz. Uh, the brainchild behind uh, grade1racing.com. We're just going to touch on, on the, his uh, website briefly, and then we're going to get into some of this week's racing. Uh, but, Steve, I understand that for the listeners of winningponies.com, you're going to give them a little bit of a break here. Well, I'd like to encourage them to come on board. Uh, I think that you know it, uh, it would help any reasonably serious casual player to you know take a good look at this information. So, uh, a twenty percent discount on any of the packages that we have four month packages one year packages some of the special stuff that will be available in the next week or two they can get twenty percent off by going to the website and in the uh, registration page the subscription page just enter the code word winning that's part of your your uh, game and that's part of all of our games winning and if they do that they'll immediately get a twenty percent discount on our package rates well, that's great, and for sure you'll get Charlie Sheen to shine, try, sign up. <laughs> <laughs> now, uh, as we look in, into our crystal ball, uh, looking at the, the three-year-olds coming up, this is an exciting time of the year. You, you made uh, what I thought was a, a very important statement uh, in your, your article that was posted on Monday on the Daily Racing Forum, and it was your closeout. And uh, at the bottom line, here's what you said. Uh, at the bottom line, we should be looking for the strongest finishers in these prep races who are bred to handle the 10-furlong derby distance and whose overall physical condition seems to be moving relentlessly forward uh, towards a lifetime peak on the first Saturday in May. That may seem a simple bromide, but it actually is the best formula for picking derby winners I have ever come across. So we, we, we not only want to, 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 to watch the horses that finish up strong in these prep races, but I think what we want to do is stay tuned to your uh, workout observations in, in the weeks ahead. Well, I, I, again, uh, I strongly recommend that approach. I, in fact, did it myself. I used to clock the horses every year for the derby uh, for various newspapers, my own private use. It was invaluable in picking horses that paid big prices and sometimes uh, upset favorites, uh, and the favorites didn't win very often in the Derby uh, for a long time. And uh, it confirmed my uh, belief in Barbaro. It confirmed my belief in Fusaichi Pegasus uh, and last year Animal Kingdom, as I said. Uh, uh, and it's, it's much more important than people realize. Even though Churchill Downs changes during the course of Derby Week, the track surface changes, they manicure it differently, the 
the rain that occurs usually in the first part of the week is almost like clockwork, by the way. Yes. <laughs> uh, but the acclimation to the to, to the, all the energy that builds and builds and builds can unnerve horses as well as uh, prove that it, you know it, it doesn't isn't going nothing's going to bother me on Derby Day. Uh, so these things take ban out, but you have to have the fundamental to begin with. You have to have a horse who is not suffering maladies, problems, last minute quarter cracks, whatever, and has approached his most recent prep races or prep race as if he is showing signs that he has the ability you think he has. And he doesn't have to win the prep race. In fact, one of the best examples I have ever seen of a derby horse who was prepped right was uh, unbridled by Colin Napsker. The horse ran third in the bluegrass stakes, or fourth, I can't remember exactly, but he was not the same horse he was going to be on Derby Day, yet there was room left for the horse to show more uh, during those works that led up to the Derby, and he delivered a powerful performance. So it's a subtle thing, but you do want a horse that has the breeding, the handling, uh, the uh, uh, the stress-free uh, issues. You don't want, as I say, quarter cracks or lists or temperatures on Monday or Tuesday that they're just hoping to get past. They don't get past it. They don't win. Even Empire Maker didn't win the Derby when he was the best horse by far uh, in that Triple Crown because he suffered something that hurt the, uh, Bobby Frankel's ability to get him ready. So those are important things. But in these last prep races, like the ones that are being run this weekend, take a horse like Creative Cause, who is the favorite for the Santa Anita Derby. Yeah, let's go there right now because I've good. only got five minutes to close. So we'll, we'll pick it up with the Santa Anita Derby and then parlay it back to the wood. You want me to continue, or do you want to take a break, or what? No, no I want I want you to handicap the Santa Anita Derby for me. Okay, well, what I'm saying is that creative cause to to be the, the the horse he looks like on paper and has looked in the flesh on Derby Day does not need to win the Santa Anita Derby. He figures to be the favorite. He probably could win the race, but he doesn't have to. Yet, if he comes out of the race fine, if he made any kind of a run during the race, and then trains up to the Derby really well, you can't discount him. He has the profile of a horse that should run extremely well at a mile and a quarter on Derby Day. There are horses in the Santa Anita Derby, though, that definitely need to run their best races in order just to make the Derby because they, they need the earnings. There's a maiden in the race who has been training well, uh, who has close enough form to other horses in the field, Brother Francis, who I wouldn't discount winning this race. Uh, there's a uh, there's a horse who just won a sprint race only. Bob Baffert's one of Bob Baffert's three horses in the field, who's got real speed. Can this horse stretch out and win a mile and an eighth race like this? Well, if the track is pasteboard hard and fast and favoring front running types, Painter just might be a horse that you could uh, win the uh, Santa Anita Derby with. Midnight Transfer is a horse who showed some promise in his last race, and he seems to be training right along really well. And then you have that other horse, I'll have another, who came out of a long layoff and an injury to win the Robert Lewis Stakes. Now, he's going to get really tested, and he has to do it again to prove that he's at uh, this caliber. So right now, sure, Creative Cause is the logical favorite, but again, he doesn't have to win the race to remain a serious contender for the Derby, and there are those other horses that need to do much better, need to win the race in order to get their earnings to qualify, and they're training well enough to cause an upset. Uh, absolutely. Now let's swing back to the uh, Resorts World Casino Wood Memorial. Uh, again, there's a horse in here that people ask me every year, you know, hey, John, who's your derby horse? And I was telling them since Christmas that I was uh, very impressed with a horse by the name of Gemologist, who I've got to see run in person twice. Obviously, you always like to have a horse. Uh, he, of course, he has super saver qualities uh, with the, the win in the Kentucky Jockey Club. Uh, he 
you know, really had a nice uh, debut, but he's got to punch his ticket in the Wood Memorial in order to get in the Derby. Uh, Alpha's uh, another one that, uh, you know, uh, the Sheiks have decided to keep this horse here and go a different way. He's trained by Karen McLaughlin. Uh, is, is this a two-horse race? Well, it, it looks to me like it should be, and it looks to me that Gemologist uh, might be or is the very best horse, very best three-year-old that Todd Bletcher has had in his barn. And he's run several of them out there, and then some of them have done okay. But this horse is undefeated. He ran a very nice prep race at Gulfstream Park was a one-turn race at Gulfstream a mile where he earned a pretty good buyer speed figure. But he's got experience at Churchill. He won that stakes at Churchill around two turns. He's bred to handle the distance. He's by Tiz now, who only won two Breeders' Cups back-to-back. No other <laughs> horse has ever done that. And his training has been excellent, and he should be able to repel or deal with uh, the possibility of some front-running pressure. In fact, what I liken him to is not really a front-runner, even though he's been near the pace in every one of his races. He, in his last race, to me, was a stretch runner on the lead. And that's a dynamic quality to have in an improving horse because it shows that he can finish and he doesn't have to be in front in order to produce his best race. And if he loses this race, I'll be surprised. But we've seen enough surprises in these races from time to time not to really get that married to them. I, I liked the Alpha at the start of the season, and I thought his two races on the uh, winter track were pretty good. But then McLaughlin, for all his talent and all his quality uh, as a trainer started to confuse me a lot by trying to decide whether he wanted to go to the Florida Derby, the Louisiana Derby, the right. Red States, and it was all because he wanted to keep Ramon Dominguez aboard or to find a, a weaker field. Well, he's not going to have Ramon Dominguez aboard when he gets to the Kentucky Derby, so why not seek out a rider that he can have for not only the prep race but for the actual derby itself? He's got talent. Absolutely. Well, well, ladies and gentlemen, again, we've been talking with uh, Steve Davidowitz. I wish this show was longer, but it's not. Steve, one more time, if you would, for our listeners. Uh, Thanks so much for your gracious offer uh, for uh, GradeOneRacing.com. Would you tell our listeners again how they can uh, get a benefit from from logging on and getting a discount? Well, I apologize for taking more time than I should have, but all they have to do is go to the www.grade1racing.com website, spell it out, grade1racing.com, go to the subscription page, enter the code word winning, and they'll have 20% discounts available to them for the next couple of weeks or so uh, to all of the packages that we offer, and I think they'll enjoy it and gain from it. Well, Steve, once again, thanks a lot. I, I know you're you're in the middle of a meeting uh, about about your website. I really appreciate you uh, uh, taking out the, the the time to be with us tonight. And I do advise my listeners to seek out your book, The Best and Worst of Thoroughbred Racing. Well, you're very kind, very generous. And again, I apologize for overstepping the boundary lines of uh, normal uh, radio time. <laughs> you didn't overstep anything. We're talking horses. That's what we do here on winningponies.com. Ladies and gentlemen, thanks so much for listening, and we hope that you will tune in again next week. We hope you will tell your friends. And remember, all of these shows are on podcast, so for any reason uh, you missed a part of it or you want to tell a friend about it, please do because they can get it. We've got years' worth of these programs, and we've had top individuals like Steve Davidowitz, uh, throughout the history of this show. So from high atop the grandstand, overlooking the turf course past the Ohio River to the hills of Kentucky, I'm John Engelhart. Remember, bet with your head, not over it. Thanks for listening to Winning Ponies with John Engelhart. We know the information from today's show will help you at the next post. 
Keep listening for more next Thursday at 8 p.m. Eastern Time, 5 p.m. Pacific on the Voice America Sports Network.